A recent recurring topic on the Empath podcast is the complicated protection underwriting process. In this episode, I talk to Nigel Bradshaw, and we debate whether big data could make underwriting protection applications simpler, or whether it might make it even more complicated. That's all right here in episode 69 of the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. Welcome, you're listening to the podcast for financial services professionals looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of marketing, protection and finance. For each episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show and here's your host, Roger Edwards. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Whether you're listening to this in the car, on the treadmill, in the bath or whilst cooking a meal, I really appreciate you taking the time to plug me and my guests into your headphones. This is your show and I'd like to ask for your help in shaping the future of the show. I've put together a quick survey at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash survey. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash survey. And it would be great if you could take two minutes to fill it in. Last week's episode was an introduction to that survey. So if you haven't caught that episode yet, it's number 68. So let's get into that interview with Nigel Bradshaw. An actuary, Nigel describes himself as a potent initiator and deliverer of change. He's worked at Prolific Life and Pensions Limited and at Scottish Provident. Nigel now works through Redmain Consulting on actuarial matters, through mortality metrics on the delivery of big data solutions and through Make Sense Partners when developing and running new propositions. Nigel also helps the family business Distant Shores Au Pairs, which offers 3-12 to 12 month placements in China. So let's talk about big data right here on the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. So, Nigel, welcome to the Empath podcast. Thank you, Roger, and thank you for inviting me. And how are you today, Nigel? I'm very well, thank you. I've, uh, I've got a, I work from home sometimes. I, I'm in a room with a nice, real fire burning away so it's it's very pleasant where am i skyping you from today uh i i'm in the lake district just uh on the edge of the lakes looking out over the yorkshire dales and the uh, lancashire hills and the the lakes behind me so um right stuck out in the middle of nowhere really sounds idyllic <laughs> it, it would be if there was an insurance company nearby there was a really nice little insurance company just down the road where i used to work at what you mean the one down the road in kendall that's the one the one where we worked together many many years ago before uh, it got taken over by scottish provident and we both moved to edinburgh except i actually never actually moved i just worked away from home for eight years i suppose we're going way back into history here nigel because yes you're right we have worked together extensively over the years and yes we worked for prolific life and pensions in kendall we moved up to scottish provident in edinburgh and that was in 1993 and of course we became involved in the development of the very first menu of benefits protection product and i think we are 
probably out of about 250 people in the industry who claim to have invented the menu product, we're the only two who are actually telling the truth, aren't we? We are, and it's uh, it's serendipity, really. But I'm an actor, and I was doing it from the pricing viewpoint of where can I generate extra margin, how can I make profit? And you approach it from the uh, marketing viewpoint of how we can serve customers together. Uh, it's amazing how powerful it is it is when you can get all the bits working together the pricing and the marketing the synergy worked perfectly yeah. that time so we've come it a long indeed. way we've come a long way 20 years down the line and everybody's still doing menu of benefits protection products and i think we're going to talk a little bit about how the market's developed today nigel and and maybe focus a bit more on the on the underwriting side and some of the interesting work you've been doing on um, scoring people's mortality and scoring people's morbidity but maybe before we get to that we've already talked a little bit about Kendall but maybe give me a little bit more background about yourself where you've come from where you've where you're going to and what your ambitions are and and basically what makes Nigel Bradshaw tick yeah certainly I'm, I was the son of a railway well I am still the son of a railway engineer went to a grammar school fortunate enough to go to uh, Oxford to read maths and from there I went on to become an actuary but I, th I think I, I feel I'm more rounded person than that because I do all sorts of things like write pantomimes I'm a scout leader and actually I, I, I like looking at the wider picture and, and pulling it all together and th and that's that's what interests me and, and what gets me into lots of different things now I'm a consultant and general help with quite a lot of companies what makes me tick if I was being really really to twee about it I, I'm gonna mention Julie Stokes who was founder of Winston's Wish uh, and I was working with an insurance company. We, we said, oh, you're wonderful. You do all these marvellous things. We're horrible financial services people. Can you come and dust some of your glitter over us? <laughs> and she said, no. She actually said, you know, you do a really great job in protection industry because what you deliver is money when people need it. And it's it takes away that issue so they can concentrate on the important issues at a time when somebody's died or seriously ill and that to me was it just went yeah no we do do a good thing here uh, and that just uh, I keep that in the back of my mind at all times and I guess over the years, as you said, we've been involved in the development of menu of benefits products. We worked together at Scottish Provident. We sort of drifted apart a bit for a few years, didn't we? That sounds a bit uh, bit dodgy, actually. We, we we drifted apart for a few years, <laughs> and and then and then we and then we came back together. And we have been working together recently under the uh, under the umbrella of uh, Make Sense Partners. Um, but today, Nigel, I thought it'd be quite interesting to to talk about this thing called Mortar Score that you've been working on for quite a number of years and the reason I wanted to talk to you about mortar score is because one of the subjects that's been coming up on the podcast quite a lot recently when we focus on protection subjects is this whole issue of underwriting and how the underwriting process has become actually quite complicated and the fact that we are perhaps um, rating one in four people who apply for um, protection products these days and mortar score is actually an interesting piece of kit which focuses upon all sorts of different lifestyle data points like postcode and, and more than that and on the one hand I'm thinking it sounds really interesting but I guess, am I also thinking, is this a layer of complication too much on top of something already too complicated? So maybe give us a bit of background about Mortar Score and where it came from. Yeah, because Mortar Score, it, I, had, I didn't actually develop it. It was developed by some big data modelers who 
used to work for NatWest and some marketeers there who saw the opportunity to develop a model that could be sold in the industry. Okay. I was brought in as the actuary to help sell it into the industry because um, they soon realized that anything technical goes to actuaries and actuaries only talk to other actuaries. <laughs> so um, it was partly true, but partly a way, uh, you know, a way of uh, trying to work out how it fits within current business processes and procedures. Because unless we produce something that actually can fit in with, with the way the industry works, it is an extra layer of complexity and it's not going to add value. So just to go back a stage, so what is Mortarscore? Mortarscore is a mortality score currently at postcode level. Okay. We're also developing a individual level mortality model. The postcode model is based on open source data, mainly census data. At the, at the simplest level, it is a postcode model. It says in this postcode, the relative chance of a person dying compared to the national average is 150%, 100%, 50%, right, or whatever. Now, what you can, what what we can do, because the census has got lots and lots and lots of really useful data, and there are other um, sources of data openly available, is we can actually say that's actually quite a crude measure, the postcode itself. What we can do is we can say actually that's built up of a number of different components. And this will be familiar to anyone in the protection industry. You know, it's dependent on occupation, it's dependent on marital status, it's dependent on smoker's status, and a whole lot of other different factors you can bring in there. Obesity, of course, is one of the common ones. Right. So once you've brought all those factors in, you can then actually look again at your, your geographic model and say, well, there is still a postcode component. It is still true that there is worse mortality in Glasgow than there is in the leafy suburbs around London. Parts of Glasgow, but actually, parts of Glasgow, of course. Part of Glasgow. I have to be very careful, don't I? I forget you're in Edinburgh. You'll get lynched. Uh, parts, parts of Glasgow. The point is, once you've brought in all these other factors, those residual geographic factors are a lot lower you know you can almost start to understand them in the basis of access to healthcare, environmental factors and other things you can explain right so we've got the postcode we've got the mortality model we can look at it at a postcode level or we could look at it as a scorecard which effectively will give a different factor to every individual. Okay. Um, and that's the basis by which we're producing this this individual mortality scoring product. And is this intended to be on top of the current underwriting process that we have? So height, weight, um, occupation, previous illnesses, that sort of thing. Or is this designed to stand alone to maybe underwrite in a completely different way? I think you know from my initial, initial comments about pulling everything together and fitting into processes and procedures, I'm not trying to create something which is just going to be either standing on its own and, and aloof from what we do currently as if we can do something better Okay. or um, just adding complexity on top. Neither of those work. There are broadly two ways that these big data models can be used um, specifically for underwriting. Um, the first thing to note is that the what we do with the big data model is we're looking at information available um, nationally and that tends to come down to social factors economic factors, geographic factors, and um, we can get down to life, some lifestyle factors as well. 
You will notice that I've not said medical in that. No. <clears throat> and that's because medical data is extremely sensitive and is not included in our models. And I'm not quite sure how you get, would get hold of it uh, under any sensible data protection um, requirements. So of course. contrast that with the current um, underwriting that we do in uh, life insurance. And essentially, it's based around medical factors. Yeah. There is a little bit of uh, the, you know, the BMI. There's a little bit about avocations such as flying and mountain climbing and those things but essentially you've got um, a medical underwriting process and the, so we've got two different processes looking at two different things here and they complement each complement each other they're additive rather than one or the other okay and that leads to lots of interesting ways that we can bring them in the first way which everyone will think about is let's just pile the, the, the big data model on top of the um, traditional underwriting method. Yeah. And if you do that, yes, you can do preferred life pricing because you can cherry pick the best postcodes, the best occupations, as well as all those best medical conditions to get some really good rates. Yeah. To be honest, you can do it. It's it's. I think it's quite boring and um, not very helpful to the industry. But um, in certain circumstances uh, where public can go on to compare prices and basically decide only on price, you go, well, if, that, if they go on there for the very cheapest price, then the insurer just looks to provide the very cheapest price. And in that situation, doing preferred life pricing may be very sensible. Mm-hmm. And it's the same as we've seen in general insurance where you've got uh, more and more breaking down of the rates to get better and sharper rates all the time in general insurance. Yeah. But that doesn't get around this issue we have in life industry that actually what we do is we end up asking people lots and lots of questions to medically underwrite them to then tell a quarter of them that we won't give them the rates we first thought of. So what you can do instead in that is say, well, let's reduce that amount of medical underwriting and substitute in some of this big data stuff. Because the big data stuff, it generally you can collect with a lot, uh, lot less questions. And in fact, if you want, you can actually just ask the, the person their name and postcode and date of birth. Right. You could, you could match them on a, a big data marketing database somewhere and actually draw down all those questions without having to ask the customer. So you can save the customer a whole load of time in the actual underwriting process and still give them a decent rate at the end of the um, the, the process, which is still fair um, on, on your underwriting basis. So the key thing, I think, is that the big data and the big data models it can be used to cherry pick, produce preferred life prices, further refine what we're doing, or it can be used to reduce the underwriting journey, make it a lot easier for customers to buy, and therefore increase the amount of protection written. And that, to me, is the uh, the really exciting route to go with the, the use of big data. And do you think that that's actually what's going to happen, Nigel? Because, again, I'm sitting here looking at the protection industry and we do seem to carry on doing very similar things. And and over the last few years, the industry has been characterised by constantly falling rates, which you've mentioned, adding critical illnesses and conditions onto, onto products and tweaking around the underwriting process. And it seems to me that a model like this 
could give the insurers the opportunity to effectively do what you don't want them to do, and that's just to layer it on the top to create a little bit more ability to compete on price, lure people in, and then, of course, hit them during the full underwriting process, and and then the one in four becomes one in three and, and worse. Do you think anybody really will use the postcode approach, the mortar score approach, to actually cut the process right down and make it a lot shorter and a lot more customer friendly i think they will i think in the in for intermediaries i don't think they'll see that very quickly okay because i think intermediaries have the ability to select on behalf of their customer in fact they're, they're duty bound to work on behalf of their customer and if an insurer is doing a very cut down process to speed things up and you can get better rates through that, you go through that. If for whatever reason they live in the wrong part of Glasgow, it's better to go through the long process, you go through that. Yes. The end result is that both sides will tend to get anti-selected against and not get the experience that they think they're going to get. Mm-hmm. So there is... And that may be theoretical rather than actual as a risk, mm-hmm. but it makes people nervous. And I think, therefore... I th- don't see we're going to make see big changes in the intermediary world just for the moment because I okay. think people will be going. I'm nervous. We're not making much money. I don't want to move too far in the direct world, uh, direct consumer space, and that could be direct consumer opera- uh, offerings on intermediary sites, for example. Mm-hmm. I think definitely you can go for the short um, application form. It's already there in terms of if you look at what uh, Axis Sun Life, Beagle Street, um, Smart Insurance, and some of the others selling uh, direct to consumer, they're down to a, anywhere between a six and a ten right. um, question application form when you look at the medical um, underwriting side. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're already trying to get that customer journey shorter and better. And um, the use of big data will enable you to move from that six to ten questions down to as few as two questions and still get genuine underwriting um, and good results and a lot quicker journey for the customer. And, of course, in the direct-to-consumer space, that's probably what people want. It's a big driver. You spend a lot of money to attract people to the to the proposition. And then um, in the direct-consumer space where you haven't got an intermediary holding their hand, reminding them all the time of why they're buying it, then it's very easy to drop out of that process and go, oh, no, I'll complete it tomorrow. So you really want a quick, easy process, which is uh, gives them the opportunity to buy quickly and, and get what is necessary evil for most people done and dusted so you've been talking to quite a lot of insurance companies reinsurance companies um, even a few intermediaries about the mortar score package nigel what sort of response have you had so far i think it's fair to say it's been slow it's been very conservative there's been a lot of testing of the product and the testing has gone fine and uh, we've passed the test with flying colors but actually building the processes, the procedures, and, and putting it into place. Insurers have find they've got so many issues, it's very hard to go, well, I'll actually go on the front foot and do something new. Um, and it's a lot easier to go, oh, I'll just fix that thing at the back office, or I'll copy what that person's doing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been a, a, a long, slow drag. So it, it's getting there. It's just... Um, taken a long time it's fair to say um, and the life industry is is a long way behind you know the annuity industry for example where mm-hmm. postcode is is and lots of other factors are commonplace um, and behind the pensions industry so um, 
you know, we will get there. It's just taking time. Thinking about the intermediary market then again for a moment, what would you say was the one thing or the two things that the intermediated protection industry needs to do to improve the customer experience during the application process? I think one of the things is, is to move off that price comparison, which is not fair because um, a lot of people don't get it. Um, and, you know, introducing some big data to speed up the process uh, while still leaving a, a reasonable amount of medical is a step forward. It's an incremental change, but it would be a step forward. But otherwise, it's actually quite hard to see. I think that there are a number of industries in, in which the way competition work, it drives, drives the whole thing down a path which is not necessarily optimal for everyone, mm-hmm. but it's very hard to break out of. Yeah, um, and I think the price cycle is 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 doing that on term assurance. While intermediaries predominantly sell on price, and in a lot of t- cases you go, well, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Then you end up with with product development and process driving down. Well, how do I get the lowest price? Not how do I maximise uh, the amount of volume we sell as an industry? Yeah, and how do we, you know, and close that protection gap? It's not as if. There is still a massive need out there, but the the way the market dynamics work, and they're they're just not not helping the whole situation. So I think some some I think you know we have got to look at some uh, quite radical solutions for that. Um, first, I think with RDR coming along, there is a an opportunity to go. Well, should I actually be intermediated on on protection? Should I is that would I be better doing a restricted or single tie offering right. and actually working with the insurer to maximize the total volume sold, maximize the amount of coverage my clients are getting, mm-hmm. rather than getting one or two clients a really good price. Right. You know, and that's, I think, an interesting debate that intermediaries ought to be having about how they should service their, their customers. So effectively, Mortarscore is actually just big data. And uh, I was just wondering, Nigel, what else can big data do to help the protection industry? Um, I would say that on the big data, there's lots of other uses of it. Um, So, for example, we've got a smoker propensity model. Mm -hmm. uh, So we can actually not just model how light you are to die. We can model how light you are to smoke, how light you are to be obese. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots and lots of other factors. So... Um, there are lots of ways that big data can be used in processing procedures and all sorts of areas, which are helpful in general in lots of different ways. And mm-hmm. I think as an industry, we've got to, A, get out of this, oh, it's postcode pricing, which is a bad thing. And yeah. It is very crude. Into big data can help us do things. What do we want to do? Mm-hmm. And I think that would be my 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 summation of big data and it's the bit that we've we've failed miserably on as an industry. We've not said, what do we want to do? How can you help us big data? Nigel, it's been fascinating to talk to you about uh, Mortarscore. It's been fascinating to talk about big data. It is actually quite a, a complex and, and, and at some points quite a dry subject. So thanks for making it easy to understand and, and, and for talking about it so eloquently and, and so passionately. Before we go, I always like to finish the podcast with a quick fire round of business questions. So let's go straight into that. Nigel, what's the one thing that you'd change about the financial services industry if someone gave you a magic wand to wave? Uh, I would get rid of all sales regulation. Wow. And I would replace it with compulsory um, professional indemnity insurance and effectively uh, privatise the whole system. 
Right, I'm going to have to get you back on the podcast yeah. to explain that in more detail. <laughs> what is the one business model, or it could be a product or a campaign, that's caught your attention in the last year? Tell us what it was and what you liked about it. I'm, about, I, I'm going to mention Vitality. They're doing lots of really good stuff. They're inventing a customer segment that will like them, of healthy, fit people and people who want to, to, to look after themselves. And they're owning that, that customer segment. And that, that's not something we've seen in with insurance companies so far. They're a bit bland and boring and, and not really focused. And I think their, their model is absolutely wonderful. They are creating a customer segment that loves them. That is going to be the quote of the uh, month, I think, that on the podcast, Nigel. <laughs> Thanks for that. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your working life. I'm really boring with apps and things like that. I do a lot of traveling. So um, I like um, you know the Booking.com app and uh, ScotRail uh, is the... Uh, I'd go by train everywhere and that's the railway app I used. But I'm actually going to mention Google Maps because okay. I have noticed recently that I can put Google Maps on and it do, and it finds the route, but it will also find my train route at the same time. Not only, not only does it do that, it tells me my train is coming in in four minutes. I think I'm just blown away by that, you know, that, that just be able to go on Google Maps and just find where I'm going and when and what, when's things arriving. I just think it's wonderful. And finally, what's the best business book you've ever read? Tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it. To be honest, I don't read many business books and I the ones I found most useful are basic textbooks on marketing and uh, business management and just the, the basics and actually I, I keep rereading them because actually that's the main thing is you forget the basics when you get too involved and you forget the, the you know you get into these complications and actually going back to basics and just going through ah yes it's customers it's marketing it's promotion it's place it's price that to me is the thing that works for me so no one particular book and they're all very Bobby Basic the ones I've, I, I'm thinking of Bobby Basic is a good way to overcome what we all know is the curse of knowledge which is where we effectively live and breathe something so much that we actually forget about the basics and therefore end up alienating our customers as a result nigel before we go Lots of people probably listening to this are going to want to have a chat with you about Motorscore, I hope, about postcode pricing and under underwriting issues in general. What's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, to be honest, I have so many different email addresses from the various companies I work through. The easiest way is LinkedIn. Fantastic. Nigel, thanks so much for talking to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Let me wish you every success in the future, and I'm sure we'll catch up very soon. Thank you, Roger, and thank you for inviting me on. for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.